Hey friends, this is Linda. Thanks for tuning in to Calling Water, the podcast where we explore a passage of scripture to learn more about what it means and some things it might call us to do. In today's episode, Though You Knew All This, we're looking at the story of the mysterious writing on the wall in Daniel chapter 5 and how this speaks to us about learning, humility, and the massive love and goodness of God. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Calling Water. And I have another special treat for us today because my colleague, coworker, friend, mentor, I could go on. Brooklyn Lindsay is on the podcast with us. Brooklyn is a creative genius, and all of us who get to make stuff with her are constantly inspired and wowed by her brilliant Muppet imagination and just the unique perspectives she brings to the table and to the world. So Brooklyn, big, big welcome. We are so honored and delighted to have you. Please tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself. Hello, everyone. My name is Brooklyn, and I say a lot of weird things. <laughs> um, I am I am a pastor. I am um, going on, I think, 22 oh my word, 23 years maybe in ministry. My husband and I grew up together basically as a married couple getting married at 19. So we've grown up in ministry. We are raising two daughters. Um, I like, you know, just so you know, some things that I like doing. I like watching my kids, like whatever they're doing. I like doing that. Um, I love doing impossible running challenges. So currently I'm on track to run the New York City Marathon, which hopefully will go well. That's impressive. Uh huh. I don't know. I don't know. It's always impressive when it's done. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> but um, I like solving problems with my friends and making up new words and being funny and being around people are funny. So that's kind of a little bit about me. I've done youth ministry forever and ever. My husband and I started a church. Um, I do creativity stuff and stuff you can use <laughs> recently. Um, I was given the title chief creative officer, which is super fun. Um, but I think my biggest like accomplishment in life was opening up a little online bookstore. Cause I've always been an avid reader who turned into a writer kind of a person. So I, um, I like dabbling and making book lists and, um, talking about books and holding books writing in books, things like that. I love it so much. Um, listeners, I will drop the link to her shop and anything else Brooklyn related in her show notes. But like I was saying, she has done so much and she is seriously just one of the most creative people in the universe. So I'm really excited to get her thoughts on this chapter of Daniel. And so we have been um, studying the book of Daniel so far this month. And we've talked a little bit about how Daniel and his friends were brought over um, because of the Babylonian exile. And um, last time we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego and what they did in the face of this fiery furnace. Um, Today, we're in Daniel chapter five, and it jumps to like a completely different narrative. Um, Daniel is still very much a part of the picture, but it's a very interesting story. Um, So let me just give you all a brief recap of what happens in this chapter for those of you who are not familiar with it, or you can just pause for a second and go read it real quick and come back. Um, But in Daniel chapter five, 
Nebuchadnezzar is no longer the king of Babylon, and a man named Belshazzar is now in charge. I'm not sure if it's Belshazzar or Belshazzar, but I'm just going to go with one. <laughs> um, and <laughs> this is the one story that we get about him in Daniel. And it starts with Belshazzar throwing a party for a thousand members of the nobility. And then he pours the wine into the gold and silver goblets that they had taken from the temple at the time of Babylon's conquest of Jerusalem. And not only that, the text tells us that they praise the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, stone, basically all the gods except for God. And then something strange happens. A human hand appears and inscribes something on the walls, which I'd imagine was terrifying. But what's worse is he doesn't know what the writing means. So Belshazzar collects all the people he considers to be wise men, and he brings them. But it's not until the queen recommends Daniel that Daniel is brought in. And Belshazzar offers him all this finery and says, I'll make you the third highest ruler and all that. But Daniel isn't interested in that. Uh, but he interprets the inscription anyway, and the words were mene, mene, teko, parson, and that is in the NIV translation. And it meant that God had brought the number of Belshazzar's days and reign, and essentially Babylon's reign, to an end, um, because he and the kingdom have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Therefore, the kingdom will be divided and given to the Medes and Persians, which was not particularly shocking because this was happening as the Babylonians were under siege from precisely those enemies. So on that very night, Belshazzar is assassinated and Babylon does fall to Darius the Mede. So that is the story we get of Belshazzar. Is there anything else you'd like to draw attention to in this text before we talk a little bit more about what it means and what it calls us to do? I mean, outside of the insane, like, sequence of events here, it's just mm -hmm. absolutely absurd what's happening. And if you read this out loud and you start to question your own sanity, that's okay, because it's like actually the weirdest stuff ever. But there's some stuff to learn from here. So yeah, let's talk about all the things we can learn and, and use so that we don't get scared. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I, I should point out um, for people who are like, you know, a little bit meticulous about historical accuracy and what and all that mm -hmm. is that the text does refer to Belshazzar as a king and as the son of Nebuchadnezzar, but biblical scholars say that he was neither, which is really interesting. Um, he was most likely Nebuchadnezzar's grandson and not exactly a king because he was filling in for his father temporarily. And then the fact that Belshazzar makes Daniel the third highest ruler now, it kind of makes sense because it would be like his father was rank one, he's rank two, and then Daniel would have been three. Um, but that is all beside the point. <laughs> This family is jacked up. That's the that's the thing. You know, if you're listening and you've got some family dysfunction, just know like it's okay. We're gonna make it. I mean, he didn't make it, but <laughs> <laughs> that's encouraging. We are on this side, we are on the side of history learning from these lessons. So we are going to make it. Right. Um, um so sure. yeah, and I feel like the point of all this, I mean, you know, in it's not just that they had a weird family history. I think the point is that despite all that Babylon had witnessed, like when it came to the God of Israel, there were a lot of miraculous stories that they had probably heard 
via word of mouth, they were resistant and prideful. And even Nebuchadnezzar, who had been so impressed with the exiles that were brought from Judah, so much so that he brought them into his inner circle and he made them high ranking officials. He had to be reminded repeatedly that he was at God's mercy. So in the chapter right before this one, Nebuchadnezzar is like driven to madness until he humbles himself (laughs) before God. Another strange story. Go ahead and read it. Um, And Daniel reminds Belshazzar of this in verse 22 of chapter five. And he says, but you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. And so Mm -hmm. I feel like the usual application of the story is that all of the others need to acknowledge God and submit to the one true God. But I think it's a missed opportunity when we don't talk about how we often are Belshazzar. And though we know all this, we refuse to learn and grow. So that is something I really do want to talk about today. So what have you got yeah. for us, Brooklyn? Well, I I was just reading this and rereading this and thinking about it. And I'm like, how how can I get past this wild party they're having? You know, <laughs> there's a, they're having a time and they are deep in this um, lifestyle that they're in. And so we have this call to be like humble and I I started thinking about, you know, um, like, what can I observe from this? Where do I see myself in this story? Mm -hmm. And I thought it was interesting. You know, the phrase that kept coming to mind was like, know it all, because, Mm -hmm. you know, we all have different people in our lives. And sometimes we are this person where we just know the answers. And we've all, we've all kind of observed what knowing it all does to people. Um, I think, And I thought of the first humans because (laughs) I know that, you know, this wasn't Adam and Eve, the story isn't about them, Mm -hmm. but I feel like it does reach back into the garden a little bit because I think they were really okay with where they were. They felt, you know, like they were in a, a place in life where they could make their own choices. And I think, I I don't think they ever wanted to have a broken relationship with God. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't think that Adam and Eve are like, you know, they went consciously about trying to break up like all of humanity's connection with God. Uh-huh, sure. In their in their unconscious like need for affirmation and maybe even a little bit of ambition, uh-huh. they wanted to know more. And they made some choices out of that need. And I think that humans ever since I mean I think it's just as as humans not gods I think we all can be tempted to be in this place of I can know more and I can need others less Mm -hmm. and so I think Belshazzar in the story got to a point where he needed very little he needed no one and everyone in his family seemed to need nothing as well so when you're at that place of needing nothing your conscious decisions kind of go to the wayside. I feel like, I feel like it was unconscious in a way that he was just kind of out of place Mm -hmm. where he couldn't even like consciously decide to choose the one true God and to make that his priority. So I think, you know, his failure to hold on to this like place in your mind and in your body where you can say, you know, there's some things I still have to learn. Yeah. Um, left him, to his own like selfish arrogance and pride, which kind of sucks. Like, Mm -hmm. so he ended up losing a whole lot, including his life um, because of that. And I, I think I can learn from that. I remember, you know, you know, that whole saying, like, the more, you know, the more, you know, you don't know. And I think that applies more and more 
seriously, the more I know and the older I get, and just the more experience you get. Because I remember being in seminary, just feeling like I knew so much already that I was not receptive mm-hmm. to learning more things. And just, I mean, we were in systematic theology or exegesis, whatever, like theology classes uh-huh. I was taking. I was just like, this is unnecessary. I know the Bible. One of the few things I did pick up from seminary was one of my professors and he was like this renowned author and, you know, and he's like, someone asked him a question and he just straight up said, I don't know. And I'm okay with that. And you know, everything I tell you, I could be completely wrong and I'm okay with that too. And I just thought that is weird because I never want to say, I don't know if anything, (laughs) I know everything. Right. So how do you get to a place where you're comfortable with not knowing and kind of, I guess, submitting to that unknowingness and kind of just letting God, like you said, being humble enough to let God take the lead. <laughs> Such an interesting question. <laughs> my, my knee jerk is to say you get older. <laughs> that's how you do it. Right. Right. Um, that's, that's one way. <laughs> that's not practical. <laughs> not practical at all <laughs> because, um, you do look back, like if you scroll your own social media posts or anything you've ever written, it's so interesting. I look back and I'm like, wow, I knew a lot back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just thought I knew a lot back then. And it just seems so presumptive of me to just say, oh, this is what people need and this is how things should work. But um, you start experiencing life and you start seeing, wow, they work in lots of different ways. So I think for me, um, how how do you do this? How do you kind of let go of knowing so much and embrace the unknowing. I think, I think you have to admit that you aren't God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I laugh because nobody walks around saying I am God, God today, <laughs> but I really think we wake up every day thinking we are. And I mean, I'm just going to admit that we think we have control like I was really thinking about Belshazzar and trying to wonder about him because I really don't like him in the story. <laughs> but if I think about being like him, I, I feel like he forgot about the massive love of God yeah. and like how much, how, how much God provides in the lack. Um, there was probably some goodness still left in him, but and I wonder what would have happened. And I, I want to make sure, like, it doesn't sound like I'm chastising Daniel at all. Right. But like, I wonder if his approach, like, if it were different, like, like what's going on in there? Like, right. bud, like, what's really happening? Right. I feel like he did a really good therapist, but mm-hmm. probably just didn't have someone holding up a mirror. So if I could hold up a mirror to myself, I would say, you know, Brooklyn, a lot's going to happen today that you can't control. And in your arrogance, you're going to try to, but maybe consider like the ways of God um, and the goodness of God. I feel like we get so stuck in the like punishment of our sin, yeah. <laughs> talking about it, mm-hmm. that we forget that God made so much good. Um, and that was intended from the beginning. And th- I mean, it takes a massive amount of humility to believe that, that mm-hmm. God made everything good and that it doesn't need fixed and that we don't need to fix it. (laughs) So it's like, for me, it's like kind of weird. I'm trying to unknow even my theology. Sure. I'm trying to embrace kind of more of a dualistic mindset that I know that horrible things exist and also really good things exist. So for me, I guess humility is possible when I embrace that messy middle part. Uh 
Mm-hmm. Um, just embracing the mess in the middle because nothing's fixed yet. And, but we are being transformed. I think that's what the Bible says, right? Like mm-hmm. that every day God is working um, things out for the good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I just keep going back to this word good because I think humility, it's hard to hold on to it unless you believe that God created good in us. Right. Cause like it can turn into depression. It can turn into self-loathing. It can turn into a lot of things if we take it to the other side. Mm-hmm. But if we like are humble in a little bit of a like held way, mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I'm held, I'm good. Like God's able. We've, and in, in a way knowing that I'm not, I'm not in control and I don't have it all together. We're more likely to reach out to others for help Mm -hmm. who are also created good and who have God's image. So I don't think Belshazzar was reaching out for hope. I think he was just chilling, living his horrible life. Mm -hmm. And I I think maybe if he would have remembered his like created self and maybe had some people to help him, that maybe he would have had a different outcome. Right. So I guess the takeaway probably for me is like, don't forget whose you are and who you have. Right. Um, God gives us so many good people around us to like help us through these things, especially in seasons when we feel like we know what's right and we know what's best. (laughs) Right. Oh, you bring up so many good things. Um, First is that, yes, Belshazzar obviously did not have wise counsel around him, nor did he seek it because the minute he is terrified by this message on the wall, he like turns to astrologers and enchanters and diviners. And it's like (laughs) only when he's reminded like, yeah, there's this guy, Daniel, do you remember him Um, that he's brought before the king? And also I feel like this passage, I mean, when I've read it in the past, like the biggest takeaway for me was fear, you know, like, especially growing up with the story was like, I'm so scared that if I just put one toe out of line, you know, God's going to punish me, you know, that's kind of like a lot of, a lot of the ways that we've been taught in the past was very fear driven, fear centric, right? Like do this or else. But I love that you bring up the goodness and compassion and love of God and how you can breathe that into this story as well, which is just surrounded by all sorts of bizarre events. But like to Mm -hmm. see like that God had compassion throughout the history of Babylon and like how (laughs) God was using people like Daniel and and his friends to kind of remind them that, no, I'm not just here to punish you. I'm here to remind you that I'm a good God and that I am worthy and deserving of worship. And I thought that Mm -hmm. was a very interesting point that you brought up. Yeah, I I don't know if it's if it's right. <laughs> I just know that I'm curious. I'm just so curious about how this could have gone, um, not to fix it, but to just wonder like if this were us and if we are Belshazzar in a way. Um, wow, we we really have a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. You know, we really have a lot of of goodness in us that we we ignore because we're so bent on knowing everything yeah. <laughs> like I know who I am and I know my, what my bio description is and I know all these answers mm-hmm. when there's probably some some other things that we can know if we would just I don't know be still long enough to hear from God and and to ask others like what do you see in me what do you see that's good and also what do you see that's not so good and and maybe that's a scary question for some of us to ask mm-hmm. but it's a really important one yeah. Um, 
and finding a few safe people who are like, yeah, I'm willing, as long as you really are serious about this question, right. um, I'm willing to have this conversation about what, what's good. You know, a lot of um, young adults in my life, there was like, what's good, Brooklyn? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love this like way of saying hello to each other because right. it's like an instant, well, let me tell you what's good yeah. before we start talking about all the things that are due and wrong and broken. Sure. Um, let's look at what's good for a minute and reorient ourselves. Otherwise we're just going to be fighting all the time or hating ourselves or hating others or turning into arrogant idiots. Like, right. just and it's interesting because you also brought up Daniel and you mentioned that like, you're not, you know, coming down hard on Daniel or anything like that. But oh. I do think it is, it's a valid line of questioning to be like, Hey, what if Daniel had approached this differently? And Daniel had been the voice of reason in a way that also came with compassion. Um, And I think that is also something that we as Christians and members of the faith community could also learn and adopt is like reaching out to others and informing others in a way that's not, you know, like condescending or patronizing, but comes from a place of curiosity and just wanting to learn from each other as much as you want to tell them about Jesus, right? I just know like there have been some experiences I've had where people have given a prophetic word and it has felt very um, like assumptive of like knowing the person. And sometimes we take a risk when we do that. I'm not saying that you can't be prophetic or that you can't Mm -hmm. do what God has asked you to do. Um, I think if we could just like remove that language for a moment, Mm -hmm. (laughs) when you see someone self-sabotaging in a way or you're seeing like an arrogance or some sort of pride or some something that's like going to limit them or hurt them I think it's like a signal for us to respond in love which isn't to chastise them but to ask questions like I'm like help me understand like your thinking behind um like this decision you made or you know in Belshazzar's like story it could have been like a lot of different things. I mean, I don't know which one was first, but you know, I think, I think there were probably many circumstances where people in his life could have said something and maybe they did. We don't know. I think in our friendship, sometimes we present information that leaves the person with no choice, Mm -hmm. but to just accept the judgment. So I wonder if we could remove judgment from the conversation and insert this massive love of God that says, I love you. I could never love you less, but I'm concerned and I care. And I would love to talk about this. Right. <laughs> I would love that kind of person and more of those kind of people in my life for sure. Yeah. I I love that kind of question you bring up. Like maybe Belshazzar did have warnings, maybe because because Daniel does make a point of saying like, you knew all this, right? And so mm-hmm. maybe the fact that this writing had to be on the wall I mean, it talked about how he was found wanting on the scales and how his days were numbered. Like he must have known that what he was doing was wrong and the way that he chose to live was not the right choice. And yet he blatantly did those things in like outright defiance. And I think that just comes from the arrogance and pride that we see in this story and often reflected back into our own lives. You know, like he he didn't measure up, but I wonder if 
his desire for God, you know, it was like his dependence on God faded because I would really love to know, like how dependent was he on God at first? I wonder, I'll never know, but his dependence lessened and his um, arrogance increased. And this is like the equation for all of the things. (laughs) So I think maybe if we had a math equation for this and I'm horrible at math, by the way, so (laughs) this is a word problem. Um, If we increase our dependence and decrease our arrogance, I think humility is what results. I love that. Well, speaking of learning, like what are your favorite ways to learn and keep growing? Um, Well, I have recently been thinking a lot about this. It's so interesting. It's been so good to just think lately about the love of God. I'm really trying to think about that more. I know that 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 shouldn't sound surprising, but it's surprising to me because I really was raised in a bunch of different churches who focus so much on the rigid posture of like faith, meaning like, are you getting all these rules right? Mm -hmm. And really I wasn't learning and growing. I was memorizing rules and hoping that I didn't get struck, you know, by the wrath of God on the way. And so in unlearning some of that and unknowing some of that, you almost swing to the other side of like thinking, I don't know if I believe any of this anymore. I'm a pastor who says that out loud. <laughs> I don't know sometimes if I if buy this, like I've said that I've had moments of prayer where I'm like, I don't know, this is like, I'm at a point. Yeah. But what ends up happening is like, you never want to get to that place of like hatred and loathing and like because it's its own type of arrogance when you think, oh, well, we've, we've gone, we've done this wrong. And so I'm going to get it right, Mm -hmm. which is like the problem. So I try to focus on the love of God Um, because what it does, if I focus on the love of God, I'm less tempted to consciously choose arrogance and everything that goes along with it. For example, um, you know, we have opportunities every single day to make choices that either benefit or hurt others. I mean, I'm a mom, I have two teenagers in my house and they have stuff that happens at school every day. And I could react in ways that are really right. harsh and critical toward other parents, toward other uh-huh. people. But I have to imagine the kid or the teacher on the other side and how massively loved they are and how massively hurting they are just mm-hmm. as I am. And I have to remember that otherwise we, we disassociate and then you can, then it makes like in our world, it makes so many prideful, arrogant things. Right. For example, like I see moms who don't want to be racist, Mm -hmm. be racist because they disassociate this idea that God loves everyone from themselves when they're hurting, when they see their child hurting, or I see pastors doing horrible things in churches that should never be done, which makes me hate the church, even though I am the church. Right. And they do these horrible, toxic things, or they make these moral, you know, judgments that are horrible, um, or lack of moral judgment, I should say. They do all these things that I, I really think it's because they've disassociated themselves from knowing the massive right. love of God. They've they've kind of put themselves in this place of knowing mm-hmm. everything and forgetting like why we need the love of God in the first place. Um, It's there to help us and to help us grow. But if you thought that you arrived and you're, you're good and you've forgotten about this whole created thing where God made us and formed us and shapes us still, 
you really don't have anyone to lean on and you're leaning on yourself. And here we are in Belshazzar yes. land again. So, so I would say like focus on the love of God because it helps us not dissociate. It helps you to be conscious about your decisions and not just like walking around triggered or like doing stupid stuff. Like if I think about the triggered moments in my life, I feel like that's when I'm the most arrogant. That's when I'm right. the most prideful because I'm hurting and I know everything. Right. That is the most humbling thing is to really, really think about the love of God in that way. Because if you do, then you do realize, wow, that love for me, like that just makes me just want to shut up and not say anything ever again, because, because God has shown this love toward me. But then like you were saying that disassociation that happens is like, well, yeah, I experienced this love but for some reason, I can't apply that when it comes to the way I perceive someone else. Right. And I think that's why people say, why are Christians such hypocrites? We disassociate when it's convenient. and But it's not because we want to be right. double-sided. It's not because we want to be solicitous. It's because we want to feel mm-hmm. better. And we want to know that we're okay. And, you know, deeply, it's just a big old yeah. hurt that yeah, we're holding. <laughs> so everyone's holding such a big hurt. And if we can just remember that, oh gosh, if we just like remember the love that we have. I think we would just be fighting a lot less. I mean, cause like I live in a world of family and friends who are completely all over the place when it comes mm-hmm. to everything, you know, like vaccines, war, um, what's just, what's unjust? Like, how do you talk about certain things, not talk about certain things? We live in a world where kids don't have food, where they don't have parents, where they're being ripped from their families. There's so many horrible things. And it's like, I can like be right even in my um, hope for justice, but wrong in my arrogance about how we go about it. So it's like, I think I think we're all a little Belshazzarian in a way. <laughs> I think the question was, how do I keep learning? So number one, try to move from unconscious learning to mm-hmm. conscious learning and think about what, what you say and do on purpose. And then the second thing is, you know, based on this story, the, the self-sabotage that was happening here, I think we should sabotage ourselves with mm-hmm. teachers um, wherever you can find them. People who are like you, people who are not like you. Um, I listen to people on masterclass every single day. I listen to podcasts. I have friends who are wonderfully gifted at asking questions and poking at my pride spots. Um, I think it's really important to make the world your teacher because God made it. And even the broken spaces of the world can teach us things. So instead of just muting it and canceling it, um, you know, of course, don't get involved in it if it's horrible and doing horrible things, but maybe ask yourself, like, what can I learn from this and how can I grow? And I think with that posture, you tend to realize I don't know everything. And maybe there's another layer of this that can help me um, or help others. So how can you be more conscious about things? I do love James Clear book, Atomic Habits. I think just working on your habits alone helps you move from unconscious to conscious. Because I think if you don't even like, if you don't even think about like the actions of your morning, you're probably not going to think about the thing that comes out of your mouth, like as a reaction. 
So maybe like look at your day and write down like the things you do in a day and ask yourself, why do you do them? Why do you do them the way you do them? Get curious about yourself first and then start getting curious about others. And, and then maybe ask questions about like, what's, what's going on in my conscious mind every day when it comes to my friends, when it comes to my family, when it comes to this thing I'm really passionate about. Um, and then surround yourself with teachers who can give you good questions. Maybe they don't even have answers, but who can give you some other things to consider and don't let doubt scare you. I think doubt has helped me so much. And I mentioned earlier that I've struggled, you know, wondering about my faith over these last 20 years. <laughs> and I think the biggest thing that has helped me hold on is doubt because it always leads me to asking questions that remind me that God is good and God loves us. And that I may not, I may not have known what I thought I knew. <laughs> There's something else to know, Brooklyn. It's so encouraging to kind of hear about your journey and how even now, after all that you've experienced, all that you've learned, that you are still learning and you are still growing and that you still have questions. And I hope that is a posture that we can learn from as well and that we continue having because, I mean, we will never arrive, right? Um, and just to constantly keep that and keep ourselves humble in that way, I think, is one of the major takeaways from this story. I think maybe adding, you know, some questions to your daily routine will really help with that. And they don't necessarily have to have answers, but just the fact that you are brave enough to ask, I think is really good. And, and to those who are listening, who are really hurting and asking some very um, pointed and strong questions to God, like, why is this happening to me? How can you be real if these things exist? Um, I just want to encourage those who are going through those things, because those are good questions to ask. Um, I think there aren't answers to those. And sometimes when we're thinking those things, people want to say, well, you know, most of the time you hear cliche things like God has a plan, but sometimes it's not helping. Right. right? So maybe even just um, unlearning this idea that your questions are bad, I think can be a beginning. Like I, I ask God often, like, how can how can you call me like to be a pastor when so many stories in my family are broken? Um, and how am I going through this without any hope? I don't, I feel alone. I feel like, you know, there's a, a situation in my family currently in my extended family that is so beyond me. And then it's so painful and the outcome just seems inevitable. And it's, it's just devastating to think about it happening and that there's nothing I can do to change it. And there are days when I pray for miracles and there are days when I'm like, God, there are no miracles like this just is. And I think, um, I think it wasn't until like (laughs) my late thirties that someone finally gave me permission to be mad and to be upset, to be doubting. And I I think in that permission, I was able to, to like remain in my faith. Um, otherwise it just seems hopeless. It's just like, you know, like nobody understands, you know, what I'm going through. Why should I even care? You know, there's like a a slippery slope that happens. So if there's someone listening, that's going through something hard, I am going through something hard too. And it's okay to feel what you feel. Um, I think from the beginning, God saw two humans who really just wanted to get it right. And they just made a a massive mistake. 
but God's love is more massive than that. And that's what I keep going back to the goodness of the garden. And someday that will all be restored. And that's really like the hope, right? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Brooklyn, for diving into Daniel chapter five and the lessons that we can learn (laughs) from this objectively bizarre story. And I am just so, I am humbled, like just in this moment right now, just listening to you talk and just how I see myself in those stories and in this story and how I can continue to strive to be humble and to offset the mm-hmm. arrogance and pride I tend to feel on a daily basis. So this has been such a good conversation. Do you have any last parting words you want to give or anything else you want to share, even if it's not completely related? <laughs> I think what I wanted to say was, was thank you for doing this podcast. I was looking at the name of yes. your podcast. Um, what is calling water? I was like, what is that? Can you say the Korean word that it refers to? Um, yes, it's called majungmur. Majungmur. It's a kind of. It's hard to say myself. I wasn't even going to try to say, but the the definition I was reading about it, describing that little bit of water that's needed to push out something standing, like the standing yes. water mm-hmm. out of an old pump, that just like took me to a place, yeah. Linda. And I just wanted to tell you that because I mean, this is the first time I was reading the why behind your yeah. podcast name. First of all speaking of learning, we all need to learn from other languages because this is a beautiful word that exists that describes something that you can't, the metaphor is fine, but the word that I'm sure that means so much to you. So that's really cool. And, um, being, I've been to different places in the world where water pumps are used as like the main source of water. And there is like a process at the beginning that gets that little, bit of like the standing water out and you have to call the water you really do you have to work for it so I just want to thank you for working for it and dislodging the stuff (laughs) I've never I haven't talked about Daniel 5 in this (laughs) at this level before so just thank you for dislodging that little bit of curiosity in me about my own arrogance and goodness we're all kind of here just on a faith journey so I want to thank you for that And I also just wanted to recommend, um, I put a little book list together about faith and doubt. And I think I shared the link with you, Linda. So if you have show notes, you can put it there. But I put together a book list because I do want to unlearn and relearn a lot. Um, A few of the books that are there, some are by Rachel Held Evans. Some are by authors with different perspectives than my own. so one of my favorite theologians is Justo Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there are some other books there that will challenge you, but like also give you some words that maybe you didn't have before, words that you may not know yeah. you need. So I just wanted to recommend that list if you would like to take a look. If not, no big Absolutely. deal. Well, thank you so much for the observation about the name of this podcast. I cannot take credit for it. Um, this actually came from the senior pastor of the church I'm currently serving at. But I just like the imagery that comes from calling water. I just feel like it's very active. And so I just wanted mm-hmm. to be reminded of that as we continue doing this. And yes, thank you so much for your book recommendations. I will definitely drop it in the show notes because we could use more resources on this instead of just sticking with what we know and just going in cycles. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. I think this is great. I hope you keep doing this. 
um, I, I maybe I'm watching um, Rings of Power at the moment. So <laughs> calling water sounds like something very magical as well. But no, just being a like you said, like a formative catalyst that helps like dislodge us from standing still. I think that's yes. what it says. Um, I'm like, dang it, that's good. <laughs> that's really good. So yes, please keep dislodging and <laughs> pushing us around because I I receive and want this in my life. And I appreciate your leadership, Linda. Thank You're amazing. You. And for all of you listening, Linda does a million <laughs> things. Um, she's really good at all of them. So I'm just happy to get to know her and get to know you. Well, thank you, Brooklyn, so much. You know how much I love and appreciate you and admire you. And so I'm so happy that you're on this podcast and people get to hear all the things that came out of your brain and your mouth today and your heart, most importantly. All right, friends. Thanks for having me. So friends, to wrap up this conversation with Brooklyn, by the way, how uplifting and refreshingly real is she? I'm so grateful she stopped by to share her insights about this text and for reminding us all the importance and reward of being humble and continuing to learn. We speculated together a little bit about what might have been happening between the lines of what the text tells us. But isn't it comforting to know that even in a story where a disembodied hand writes a disturbing message about impending doom for an entire kingdom and its leader, we can always trace the narrative back to God's goodness and love? I mean, this is something many of us have always known, but like Brooklyn was saying, it's so easy to dissociate ourselves from that experience when we actually have to live it out. We see through this brief story of Belshazzar that a history of knowing something doesn't always translate to a lifetime of doing it. I hope all of us now feel called to make humility and a learning posture our habit of choice in order to cancel out our more arrogant and prideful impulses. It's okay to not know because there is a God that does know all things and we can ask for help. And when it comes to our relationships with others, let's continue practicing compassion and curiosity. There is so much more to know about how much we don't know when we consciously make the choice to keep learning. Let's pray. God, I wonder if you ever look down on your creation and just laugh at the things we claim to know. How many times have we insisted that we knew what was categorically right and preached it to others? Forgive us for our arrogance and pride and also our forgetfulness each time we think we made it on our own. Even when we are in those valleys of despair where we're consumed with fear and doubt, you welcome our questions and answer us with love and goodness every time. We humbly confess our dependence on you and that there is so much we have yet to learn. Keep teaching us because we are willing. In Jesus' name, amen.